0: If you have your Bibles or on your app, uh, go to Genesis chapter 50. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 26 in just a moment. As you're getting there, let me just remind you that there are seven children through Kenya's kids who have yet to be sponsored. And I want to encourage you to consider sponsorship um, if you're able to. It's $45 a month, so $540 through um, the course of the year and I just happened to pick up one of the profiles randomly and noticed this is um, an eight-year-old boy, and here's his family history. The father of the family died, leaving the children with an unemployed mother. The mother developed some mental health issues due to depression, and as a result of the death of her husband. The mother, despite her mental health issue, works on other people's farms, earning very little and not enough to sustain her and her children. The children are in dire need of support to enable them to get proper feeding, clothing, and education. Um, This is just one little eight-year-old boy named Mutanda. And there are seven other profiles of children. So I want to encourage you, once again, if God lays on your heart to consider child sponsorship. Um, Marie Jansen, are you here? Yeah, that's Marie Jansen. And you could see her after the service. I'm going to place these profiles right here on the altar. And after the service, if you want to come up and sift through those profiles, Miss Marie is going to be up front. And you can just simply talk to her about next steps. Our Advent theme this year is come home. This Christmas. What does it mean to come home for you? I think for a lot of people, the idea of coming home conjures up feelings of warmth, security, safety, acceptance, love. It's like a hot cup of hot chocolate. Just this idea of coming home. But not everybody comes home to a safe place. For some people, the idea of coming home is coming home to a battlefield. A lot of strife. I once talked to a man in another church, a great Christian, served the Lord for 60 years, And he said there was a time in his life where he kept fantasizing about getting in the car and driving home, but driving past his home and just driving away and disappearing. Because things were so rough in his home. This series is about answering one question. What would it take for you to experience more of these qualities? Safety, acceptance, security, unconditional love. What would it take for you to experience more of these in your own home? Expanding it out a little bit, what would it take for you to experience these within your own heart? What would it take for you to experience all of these qualities with the Lord. Each week of Advent and Christmas Eve, I'll be telling a coming home story from the Bible. Each week we'll look at somebody or some person, people, who came home and what that means for us. But first I want to ask you a question. What do you most want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered most for? You can be a lady who builds a large corporation who gains a great deal of money in her portfolio, but her children may remember her most for warm dinnertime conversations. A man may be leading many charitable organizations. He may have spent his entire life in the volunteer field. But his co workers may remember him best for his sharp tongue and harshness. The truth is, sometimes we're not remembered most for what we want to be remembered most for, we don't get to pick. We want to be remembered most for this, but somebody else may remember us most for that. Which brings us to Joseph. Not Joseph of the New Testament like Mary and Joseph, but Joseph in the Old Testament. Did you know that Joseph's story takes up almost 25% of the book of Genesis? From Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50 is the story of Joseph. Joseph is one of the most significant figures in the book of Genesis because God used him to save the children of Israel at their most vulnerable moment. Consider this. If there was no Joseph, there would be no Moses. If there's no Moses, there's no Exodus. If there's no Exodus, there's no nation of Israel. If there's no nation of Israel, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no Christmas. Joseph is known as a type of Christ figure in the Old Testament. Because he's one of these few figures in the Old Testament that really points us toward Jesus as the deliverer. The person who offers salvation to people. And yet, by the time we get to the New Testament, Joseph is only mentioned four times, three are in passing, and the one significant passage where he is mentioned is one verse. How does a guy go from 25% of the book of Genesis. By the way, Abraham has 25% of the book of Genesis. So if you read all 50 chapters, Abraham, Joseph, they're the big guns. How does a guy go from that to one verse? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, almost easy to skim over. And even this verse, frankly, is a little odd. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them that his bones be taken with them when they left. That seems a little odd to me. What's up with Joseph's bones? Would you stand please, because we're going to read God's word out of Genesis chapter 50, and this is the text this morning, and it really amplifies Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. So Genesis 50, verses 24 through 26. Joseph speaking, soon I will die, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land that he solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Would you bow your heads? Holy Spirit, um, what's up with the bones of Joseph? Why does... Why does the writer of Genesis say what he says about Joseph? And why does the writer of Hebrews say what he says about Joseph, both mentioning his bones? Would you give us some insight on that today? And more than that, would you help us to understand what we're meant to take away from Joseph's life about hope? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, what are we supposed to take away from Genesis 50 and from Hebrews 11:22? Both a little odd about his bones. There's only one answer. Joseph's bones in the Old Testament and the New Testament are meant to represent one thing. And that is... Never giving up hope. Joseph, when he died, said, I don't want to be put in a mausoleum next to some pyramid, and that was his right, by the way, as prime minister. He said, I want my bones to be kept above ground, portable. And I want them to be an encouragement to the people while they're in Egypt and encouragement to the people when they're on their way to the promised land, and I want them buried in the promised land to be an ever-mindful reminder of what a life of hope looks like. Joseph's bones show us that we can always live in hope, specifically in three life areas. The first is, live in hope when bad things happen, especially when things go from bad to worse. Live in hope when bad things happen, especially when things go from bad to worse. So Joseph's life starts off in a way that he never anticipated. Joseph's brothers, through hate and deceit, sell him into slavery in Egypt, go back to their father Jacob and say, here, this is your son's coat. Remember Joseph's coat of many colors? This is your son's coat. They put a whole bunch of blood on it from an animal, and they didn't have DNA back then. And so they just held up his coat and said, he must have been killed by a wild animal. Jacob took that lie and mourned for much of his life. Joseph, meanwhile, goes down into Egypt, and he's put on a slave block. And this wealthy guy by the name of Potiphar buys Joseph. Joseph is 17 years old. He's a good-looking man, kind of sharp. And it didn't take Potiphar too long to realize that he could trust Joseph. And so he puts Joseph as the head steward of his whole house, which is to say that he was the general manager of the company. Nobody was more powerful in that household than Joseph, except for Potiphar. Unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar married a trophy wife. She's hot. And she's hot for Joseph. And we're told in the Bible that day after day she would come to Joseph and flirt with him and say, come to bed with me. I find it remarkable that Joseph is probably 18 by this time. He's a young man living far away. Nobody knows him. He can pretty much do anything he wants and get away with anything he wants. But he doesn't yield to this temptation. The book of Proverbs says that there is nothing like a scorned woman. And she frames Joseph because he will not go to bed with her. And she accuses him of trying to rape her. What's Potiphar going to do? He puts Joseph in prison. Things go from bad to worse. Joseph is in prison, Bible scholars say, about 10 years. Some say 13, some say a little bit less, but just pick 10 years, just to be on the safe side. It doesn't take the jailer too long to realize that Joseph has some administrative skills, and so he decides that he's going to make Joseph... Head of the prison. And so the jailer just kind of comes and goes and whistles his way to work and whistles his way home to work because he's got Joseph in charge and he's got no problems. About eight years into Joseph being in prison, two officials from Pharaoh's household get in trouble with Pharaoh and they get thrown into prison. Joseph, by that time, has a reputation for being an interpreter of dreams. It was just a God-given gift. And these two officials from Pharaoh's household end up having dreams. And they go to Joseph, who correctly interprets those dreams. One of them, not so good for him. The other one is restored to service in Pharaoh's household. And Joseph says to him when he gets let out of prison, remember me. But the guy's a good forgetter, and he's restored to Pharaoh's household and just forgets about Joseph until two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and it deeply disturbs him. Pharaoh calls together all of his wise men, and he says, come on, tell me what the dream means. And they said, tell us the dream. And he says, if you were wise, I wouldn't have to tell you the dream. Oh, man, what do you do when someone can't tell you a dream but wants you to interpret the dream? And then the official remembers, wait a minute, there's this guy that can interpret dreams. He's in prison. Boom, the light bulb goes on. Sorry, Joseph, I forgot. He calls Joseph out of prison. Joseph stands before Pharaoh and is able to tell Pharaoh what his own dream was and the meaning of the dream. And the dream is simply this, that there's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt, and they ought to take advantage of that, collect all the grain, because there was going to be seven years of drought and famine in the land, and Pharaoh goes, unbelievable. You're going to be my prime minister. Prime minister, you're fired. Bring this guy in. And there was no one more powerful than Joseph in the land of Egypt, except Pharaoh. And sure enough, the dream comes true. Joseph is responsible for the seven years of plenty, and I mean, they're just, Egypt is overflowing with all this grain, and then the rest of the Middle East is in drought, they hadn't planned, and so all of the nations from the Middle East come to Egypt, and they're making gobs of money. I mean, You know, Joseph is now leading the Fortune 500 company. He's number one. And then it happens. You know it's going to happen. He's been waiting for it to happen for years. In walks his brothers one day. They do not recognize him because he has an Egyptian name. He's dressed as an Egyptian And then he begins to test them to see the kind of men that they've become. Their character. Have they changed? And they have changed. And eventually Joseph reveals himself, and it's a grand reunion. Joseph says, bring the rest of the family down. There are 70 people by this time. Bring the rest of the family down into Egypt. I'll give you the best land in Egypt, the land of Goshen. And they lived happily ever after for the next 60 years. Joseph is on his deathbed, and he sees and remembers the prophecy from Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, where God says to Abraham that one day His descendants would go down to a land and be there for 400 years, but they would be restored and would head off to the promised land that God had promised Abraham. And Joseph goes, I'm the guy that's going to make this happen. So he says, when I die, I don't want to be put in a mausoleum I want to be put in a house, and I want my bones to stay there, really now, if you calculate it, for the next 300 years. Over the course of the next 300 years, the Israelites' fortune in Egypt, changes dramatically. The noose is drawing closer around them. And this people that started off as 70 people in Egypt, they grow into thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands over 300 years. And the Egyptians become afraid of the Israelites. And so they enslave them. Now imagine if you're a slave during that period of time, and your life is utterly miserable, you are totally demeaned every single day, you are disrespected, you are unappreciated, and at some points you're supposed to make bricks without straw, and at some point, because of population control, the Egyptians decide that they're going to kill all the baby boys to keep down the population, and you're miserable. One day you decide that you're going to walk home from the slave pit a different way and you walk by this house and you realize, wait a minute. That's where Joseph's bones are. And then you remember his words. One day, God will send a deliverer and you will leave this land And when you leave this land, take me with you. Joseph's bones were meant to give hope and encouragement to a people whose life went from bad to worse. The point is this. It's easy to lose hope when your life goes from bad to worse. But you can still have hope because, God, because you can lean on God's word, His promises to strengthen and sustain you, because you have the example of godly people who have gone on before you and endured being misunderstood, accused wrongly, and abandoned, because you have a spiritual family called the church to strengthen and encourage you, and listen to this, you have something better than the bones of Joseph you have an empty tomb. Number two. Joseph's bones mean that we are meant to live in hope when everything around you makes it difficult to serve God. I read this week the difference between mushrooms and oaks. Mushrooms are grown in a very controlled protected environment, and because of that, they grow fast. To grow an oak tree, you have to put it out in the open where it must stand against the storms of summer and the snows of winter. Adversity is what makes the oak tree strong. I think most of us in this room want our lives to matter. Right? I mean, we want to live a significant life. We want to be able to be remembered for something. We want to make a difference. God's put eternity in the hearts of men. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. And so there's this sense of us that we want our lives to matter. It occurred to me this week that all of Joseph's brothers for decades would have heard from their father Jacob the stories of God's dealings with Abraham and Isaac and his own life. That they would have been taught and mentored by their father about what it means to worship the one true God. They would have worshipped together, they would have sang songs together to Yahweh, the one true God. But for all of their worship, for all of their knowledge for all of their first-hand experience with the faithfulness of God, they were mushrooms. Living in a controlled environment. Protected. You would have thought it would have made them an oak, but it didn't. It also occurred to me that... Um, Joseph, when he went to Egypt, was 17 years old. The Bible says he died when he was 110, which is to say that for 93 years, Joseph lived in a spiritually hostile environment. Did you know that the Egyptians had the most raw form of paganism of their day? They worshiped Everything and anything. They worshipped animals. They worshipped snakes. They worshipped insects. And you know how they worshipped? They worshipped in a sexual manner. Every time they got together for worship, whatever this bug that they were worshipping, they would consummate the worship by having sex. They were living in a very raw, base culture. They were technologically advanced, but they were spiritual mushrooms. Joseph, as prime minister, must have had immense pressure on him to conform to the culture. Joseph was wealthy. Joseph was powerful. Joseph was invited to every single party you can imagine because the prime minister is going to be here. Everybody shows up, and Joseph would have walked in and, Hey, smoke some of this, Joseph. Hey, drink some of that. No, thank you. You know what Joseph's life is really supposed to remind us of? as Christians, that it's possible to live a holy life. It's possible to live a pure life in the midst of a crazy pagan world. I mean, are you a Christian because you've really, really discovered the claims of Christ? Or are you a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home? Are you a Christian because you grew up in America and you heard a lot about God? What if, have any of you ever played this game? Because I played this game in my head. What if I grew up in another culture where Christianity was a minority? Would I I actually have the wherewithal to seek out the truth? If I was born in a Muslim culture, if I was born in a Buddhist culture, if I was born in a Hindu culture, if I was born in some, you know, animistic culture, would I have the wherewithal to seek out truth and to find Christ for myself? Or would I just go along with the flow? Joseph was an oak tree. In a land that was spiritually inept. I think that there are some parallels within our own culture, don't you? Everything in our culture is designed to deflect us from true worship. To be truly going deep in our relationship with the Lord. C.S. Lewis said this about the life of holiness. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, It's irresistible. While in Egypt, God was building a nation of oak trees who would eventually break free from slavery and become a nation of priests to all the nations around them. By the way, that is still His intent today. The nation of priests is called the church. You ever wonder why you go through so much adversity? We don't say it out loud because as soon as we say it, we know it's not true. But we have this kind of feeling of, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I must be protected from really hard things in life. Oh, no. God just uncovered all the hard things in life for you. Because God is committed to moving you out of Mushroomville and growing an oak. But you can only do that one way. And that's through adversity. So when your life goes from bad to worse, when you're going through a difficult time, instead of saying, where God are you? Have you abandoned me? You ought to lean into the Lord and saying he's just building an oak tree inside of me. Because that's his way. Three, Joseph's bones are to remind us that we are to live in hope. When what we're longing for Hasn't happened yet. Did you know that there are actually two bone stories at the end of Genesis? Just previous to Joseph commanding the Israelites to leave his bones portable is the story of Jacob dying. But they're radically different. Jacob gathers his whole family around him and says, now listen, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. When I die, I want to go back to the family tomb in Machpala. Machpala is modern-day Hebron. And it's where Abraham and Sarah are buried. It's where Isaac and Rebekah are buried. And it's where Jacob's wife Leah is buried. But here's the thing. When Jacob is dying, all he's thinking about is the past. But when Joseph dies, he's not thinking about the past. He's thinking about the future. Joseph doesn't care where he's going to be buried in Israel. I mean, naturally, you would think that he'd want to be buried at the tomb of Machpelah which is where his forefathers are. No, Joseph never says anything about that. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, we're told that Joshua eventually buries the bones of Joseph in a place called Shechem where they reside today. Now here's the thing. Joseph is all about looking forward When the Israelites were preparing to leave Egypt, the Bible says that they went to their masters and plundered them. Basically, they went to the Egyptians and said, we're ready to leave now, anything you want to give us? And the Egyptians wanted to get rid of the Israelites so so much, so badly, that they just gave them all their wealth and said, get out of here. In the middle of all that chaos, Moses tells some guy to go get the body of Joseph and put it on a cart and get it ready for transport. Can you you imagine what that guy must have gone through? I mean, everybody's running around grabbing all kinds of wealth, and here's this guy that has an ox cart and he's got this big box. And somebody says to him, Hey, buddy, what's in the big box? A dead body. Can you imagine what that guy must have felt like when through the disobedience of the Israelites they were sent to the wilderness for another 40 years? That guy had to carry around the body of Joseph for another 40 years. And then even when the Israelites did conquer the land of Israel, it took them 7 to 10 years to conquer the, the, the promised land. That means that Joseph's bones were still carried around the entire time that they were conquering the Canaan land. And then eventually, Joseph's bones were buried. What do you long for that hasn't happened yet? A job that's a right fit for you? A breakthrough in your marriage? Getting out of debt? Reconciliation of a broken relationship? A child returning to the faith. A healing of a heart wound. An injustice finally being resolved. Are you about to give up? Don't. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Even if it takes years, don't lose hope. Joseph never did. And while you're waiting, keep praying. Keep remembering. Keep studying. Keep meditating on God's word and his promises. Keep leaning into the Lord. And keep trusting God's timing. Because we serve a good God. And his promises are faithful. And they're always answered. I was thinking this week as I was closing out the the message of a well-worn story about um, a husband and wife who were missionaries. Missionaries on the mission field in another country for 40-some years. And um, they were coming home, retiring to a little home, and they were on the plane flying back, and there was this dignitary who was also on the plane And when they deboarded, there was a big band there. There was all other dignitaries giving speeches about this one dignitary who was getting off the plane and how wonderful his life was and how honored the community was for having him there. And the husband and wife missionaries, they just kind of walked by, left the airport. The husband turns to the wife and says, you know, I feel kind of down. Nobody was here to greet us at the airport. There were no bands. No speeches welcoming us home. What have have been the past 40 years? What what good did we do? And his wife, just lovingly, you know how wives just kind of give perspective on things when we've lost it, men. His wife turns to him and says, hey, just remember something. We're not home yet. You're not home yet. Each of us has things to do. Each of us has things in our life that we're still waiting for God to accomplish. They may be accomplished on this side of heaven. They may be accomplished when you're gone. You know, God can answer a prayer in your life whether you're here on this planet or not. He can still answer the prayer. Some of you are praying for children to come home to the Lord and you may, you may die and think you've never seen that answer to prayer but a year after you're gone your child may give their life to Christ. You don't know. It's better to stay in faith. Stay hoping. I want to close with this quote from 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So here's what I think. I think that many people just lose hope that they'll ever get an answer to prayer, to a certain prayer that they've been praying. I think that people, because we have good forgetters, just forget about the promises of God and they're caught in this emotional slavery of just going through life bit by bit, day by day, and they don't look up and they don't live their life in hope at all. You just remember the bones of Joseph. They gave the Israelites 300 years of encouragement to endure some really bad stuff. And it gave them the hope to go through 40 years in the desert, even in their rebellion. And it gave them the hope to come home to their own promised land. This, friends, is the journey of Jesus. Jesus, we're told in Matthew chapter 3, remember when Joseph took Mary and Jesus down into Egypt? To keep them from wicked King Herod? Matthew chapter 3 says that this was to fulfill the prophecy of my son will come out of Egypt. You know the importance of the bones of Joseph? They're our own story of the redemption of Jesus Christ. We were all born into slavery, but we have a redeemer named Jesus who has paid the price. And now we look at the empty tomb and say, There is no situation that I go through that doesn't have hope because I have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? Jesus. there are some people in this room that have just given up hope that something in their life would ever change. Would you blow a fresh breeze into their heart today and help them to come home to hope again? Even this week, would there be a turning point where they could go there it is. I'm going to start believing again. Maybe a conversation with a child or a spouse or somebody at work. Maybe from your word, a promise comes forth that you gave them ten years ago, but they've forgotten it. God, help us to draw strength. To go through this week with hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. Go Eagles. Hey, come forward if you'd like to get a profile for a child, for Kenya's kids.